va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ocil. Marca Mesut Ocil. El segundo intento, que volea, qué golazo. Con la pierna izquierda, Mesut Ocil. Que puede enamorar 1-0, tanto de Ocil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. Not with James from Gunnerblog, who is still on his holidays, probably having a great time, given the way things are going for Arsenal. I think we can draw the correlation between bad results for Arsenal and James having a wonderful time. But I'm delighted to be joined this evening by, uh, you'll know him from the Arsenal Vision podcast. You can block him on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Elliot Smith, how are you? Yeah, hey, uh, thanks for having me on. This is the perfect occasion for it. It absolutely is. And, you know, it strikes me that there's something quite apt uh, tonight about recording a podcast with a guy who's named after a singer whose most famous song is about heroin and who took his own life by stabbing himself in the chest. I mean, that's the story. We can get into another podcast on how you stab yourself in the chest to death, but we probably don't want to give anyone any ideas tonight. No, no, no. That's probably a good thing. It is tonight here, and I have a glass of wine. It's uh, daytime over there, so you're probably not as lucky to, to have that. And also, I'm quite lucky in that I only have to do this once. I've got to do one podcast. You've got to record the Arsenal Vision podcast as well. So don't use up all your good material tonight. Save some for that one as well, will you? You obviously haven't listened to that podcast, have you? <laughs> <laughs> I listen regularly. It's the only Arsenal podcast I listen to. So uh, I'm looking forward to see how you uh, say the same thing in a slightly different way, which is, you I know, mean, that's basically our podcast every week. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think people can identify with that if they uh, listen to this podcast or read the blog or anything else. There is a familiarity about uh, about Arsenal these days, trying to say the same thing in a slightly different way. But, uh, well, at least there was a little bit of variety tonight because Arsene Wenger has lost a third-round FA Cup tie for the first time in his 21 years at the club. So that's new. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm all for first. I mean, although he did it in quintessentially uh, Arsene Wenger fashion, I, I feel like this was, if you wanted to put, you know, a time capsule into the ground of what Arsenal and his second act were like, you might put this game in there. Um, does he get off the hook for the fact that he didn't actually manage the game? No, 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 no. Of course no. he did. I mean, he had super spy Jens Lehmann there with his walkie-talkie <laughs> with his secret microphone. You know, Steve Bold had the little thing in his ear, probably Neil Banfield, and Vic Akers had one as well. There was probably all kinds of redundancy issues there in case one communication line uh, broke down. But no, he can't. It Maybe someone had team. rubbed some polonium on Per Mertesacker. That might explain some stuff. Well, it could. I thought Per Mertesacker's comments after the game were really quite something. I don't know if you've seen them yet. But, I missed them. Uh, I would love to hear. I heard they were uh, quite interesting. Well, you know, he said, uh, he said, the manager made a lot of changes, gave a lot of trust to players who haven't played a lot recently, and I don't think anybody justified their selection today. He yes. said, uh, uh, it's difficult um, because for those players who played today, that was probably a last chance to show up and show the manager they're ready to play more games. It's not the case anymore. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, this <laughs> is the Lord. club captain. And I don't think he, I don't think he's excusing himself from that either. It doesn't strike me that he's saying, well, you know, it was all them. I don't, I don't read that into it, but that's strong, isn't it? 
the, the problem with it is I think you'd have to say the players that let themselves down the most were the senior players. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, you know, if he's trying to refer to the youngsters. No, I don't not think that he anyone is. came out of this with a lot of credit, but they were certainly the brighter of the group. No, no, absolutely not. There's, I, I don't read into, into that anything about the young players. I think it's all to do with senior players, guys like uh, himself, Matthew Debushi, uh, Theo Walcott, Danny Welbeck. You know, these these guys who, who should have been able to make a contribution against a team like Nottingham Forest, but of course, Welbeck scored a goal, another screamer, uh, so we shouldn't overlook that, of course. But, you know, I think it was, he was talking about the, the senior players, Mohamed Elneny, you know, none of them really did, did a particularly great job. So, I mean, maybe that's where we should start. Uh, in terms of how we view the game, the the team selection. Did you have any issues with the team selection when you saw the team sheet? Was there anything that struck you as wrong or odd, or did it uh, seem okay? All right, so I have to be honest, right? Because hindsight's twenty twenty. I, I didn't at first, and correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I just glanced at it and my brain rearranged it. I thought that the club tweeted it out as though it was a back three. They did, yeah, they yeah. Did. And so I looked at it and I said. I, you know, I don't love the bench. There's no way to rescue this if we're falling behind or struggling mm. to win it. And that's unfortunate. But I am I tend to be okay with rotation for these games. And the manager has gotten away with that before. I think the bench is inexcusable. But then when you saw it as a as a back four with Mertesacker and holding in a two, I mean, that to me is criminal. I don't know how he thought he was going to get away with that. And, you know, holding might be the slowest player on the club if Murdisacker wasn't there, you know, and, and I, I felt that Murdisacker kind of retired himself with his last performance. I think he was taken off. Was he taken off at, no, it wasn't at halftime. It was in the second half. Yeah. Um, he, he came off and, you know, I, th- or maybe it was halftime. Do you no, remember? no, it was, it was, uh, I can't remember what game it was. Maybe Southampton. So I can't many. remember, but I remember that he did, he sprinted towards the, uh, the touchline when he came off midway through the second half. Yeah. So, and, and you know, on our podcast, we we said, you know, is that the end of his playing career? Because it really looked like someone who just he he didn't have the mobility to do it anymore, mm. and it wasn't. And so to put him out there with another slow center back in a back four, that was really my worry. I guess the only other question you'd have is, you know, you look at this team right now, and Ozo Alexis and maybe Lacazette aside, who do you trust to create chances and who do you trust to finish chances? Yeah. Um, and defending has never really been our our thing. I mean, (laughs) at some point you look and you say, we're going to need a couple of goals probably. And I don't see where those are going to come from. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I I didn't have a problem with the back four per se, just in terms of the opposition we were facing. I I did have slight reservations about a back four with Mertesacker in it. Um, But, you know, I, I, I thought the big issue for me wasn't the team selection itself. It was the bench. It was the fact that we had nothing on the bench that you could call on if we needed... Uh, to change the game and we did need to change the game and I accept that the the schedule has been hectic I accept that players are 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 running through uh, perhaps the red zone maybe we don't know what the injury situation is like we've got a few players who are out injured who maybe would have been involved today there's no Francis Coquelin for example um, that was an interesting one there's no injury there apparently he just wasn't involved which is well I he's think, wrapped very in cotton wool for the Carabao Cup <laughs> could well be or could be on the move who knows I mean I don't think he would have any I mean my, my feeling going into this was big market for Coquelin in January I don't know I don't know someone <laughs> someone I mean look uh, people but we'll buy all kinds of things, as you know. Um, you know, I <laughs> we have, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you know, I, I I thought going into this one, I thought he would play more or less the same kind of team in today's game as he was going to play on Wednesday in the Carabao Cup. 
I didn't think it was resting players at all for for uh, for Wednesday. I think there was scope to include some more quality on the bench. That if we needed to pull this one out of the hat, if we're committed to the FA Cup, if we really, really wanted to defend it, going into this game, knowing how we played in some of the the Europa League games and some of the Carabao Cup games, I mean, let's not uh, overlook the fact that had it not been for that glorious Eddie Nketiah cameo, which was an amazing thing and a beautiful thing, and we all enjoyed it, we were, what, three minutes from going out of the the Carabao Cup to Norwich because this team couldn't get a couldn't get a goal against Norwich. We played a couple of nil-nil draws in the Europa League as well, where we just couldn't get a goal. And that was with Olivier Giroud, who is somebody, I know not your favorite player ever, but somebody who is a consistent, reliable goal scorer for us. So today, you're looking at that and you're thinking, we've got no fail-safe. There was no safety net whatsoever in terms of what we had on the bench. And for me, that's the frustration. Not the team selection itself, but the bench. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally fair. And and I think it gives you a little window into how imbalanced the squad is too. Right? I mean, the, the mm. way this squad is built doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, there's a lot of players who play the same role in the same positions in the same way. There's not a lot of variety. There's not a lot of uh, finishers. You know, you, you look at Liverpool and, you know, obviously Manchester City, and it's hard, it's hard to point to them, I realize, because the money they have. But these are teams that are just stocking up on fast, uh, clinical finishers, players that can get into the box, that can cause problems, that can score goals. And they put tremendous pressure on you. And, you know, Liverpool have similar problems at the back, although, you know, they just spent 75 million pounds trying to address that. But they have a lot of players who can make the difference at the other end. Mm. And for an Arsene Wenger team to be this short of players that can make the difference in the attacking third, that's really unusual and really problematic. And I think, you know, the Theo Walcott thing does my head in. Look, you, you asked about rotation, right? Fine rotate put some quality on the bench please but rotate there are some good players here what i can't figure out is you had all of these games during the holiday period where we looked a little jaded where we really lacked pace um where we could have used a theo walcott and again touche i know he's not your favorite player but Mm -hmm. you know he could have been of use yeah everyone assumed it's because he was just being saved for a move and then he makes an eight minute cameo in our last league match and now he's starting an fa cup match against a championship side i mean to me to, to steal something from Tim Stillman, Stilberto on Twitter, he, he always says that it feels like Arsene Wenger is building the plane in flight. Um, <laughs> you know, Liverpool look like a club right now that have a plan that know what they're doing. And to me, it feels like we're just improvising. I mean, what do you make of Theo Walcott vanishing for the entire holiday program and now suddenly he's starting games for us again in January. Well, I mean, he starts these games. That's the whole point of his season. He's starting the Cup games. He's starting the Carabao Cup. He's starting the Europa League. And Wenger has decided that he's not someone that he wants in his Premier League team. I don't think he didn't appear in the Premier League over the holiday period because we were saving him for a move. I think it's because the manager just doesn't want to play him anymore. It doesn't see value in him anymore. And this is, you that, know, that's what... Yeah, that's it is. I mean, he's a guy who got 19 <laughs> goals last season. And I will admit, he's not my favourite player. And he frustrates the hell out of me. But I can see over the course of his Arsenal career, you know, it's too easy to say Theo Walcott is rubbish and shit and absolutely useless. You don't score over 100 goals for a team like Arsenal by by being completely shit. That's nonsense. Like, there are flaws to his game and, you know, we can all see those. But I don't really understand what the situation is or why he hasn't been using him. I don't believe that it's because he's saving him for a move. I just think he d- he doesn't rate him. And then you get a, a game like today and you're going, okay, Theo, here you go. 
you know, you're playing against the championship defense, and I'm not saying that that should make them useless or anything like that. But you know, you know, you're you're a supposed top player at a top club. Show what you can do, and he, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. I mean, he hasn't been able to do it for for most of this season. You know, in the uh, even in in the cup games. So I don't I don't really understand. I mean, I think you your, your point about Klopp and Liverpool and what they're doing. Um, we have to put that in the context of they've got a manager who they see as the future of the club. Who and has is, a clear plan. Yeah, a clear yeah. plan well, that everyone right from top to bottom seems to be on board with and understands sure. and is following. And, and, and Wenger is and has been for quite some time firefighting. He just about hung on to his job last season. And he is not the man for the future, regardless of what you think of him now, whether he should go now, whether you think he should see out his contract. He is not the man for the future of this football club. And I think that's reflected in the way the team performs as well. You know, I I do wonder uh, when I see days like today and performances like today and, and certainly form like we've had over the last number of weeks, whether or not. This is, uh, <clears throat> sorry, whether this is sort of tied into to Wenger and his future. You know, the shift to the back three last season, it, it, it completely, it, it just threw everything on its head because it was his last roll of the dice. He doesn't have that anymore. He doesn't have that roll of the dice. Go back to a back four or go back to a back three. You know, it's like, well, whatever now. I mean, it, it's just that he makes a lot of head-scratching decisions. And I think one of the things that is problematic with Arsene is, right, so like, if you're a manager coming up in the game, making your name, still worried about your legacy, you're very careful with your decision-making because you know there could be consequences for getting it wrong. Mm. And I just think the time has long since passed of Arson feeling any consequences. So not putting any depth on the bench, you know, going to a back four with Holding and Murtisacker together and throwing this team out there with very few options on the bench. He doesn't feel the pressure that a normal manager would feel yep. making that decision. You know, playing Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain at left wing back at Anfield right before selling him to Anfield. To right Anfield, to right wing back because he played Bellerin at left and, wing back. Yeah, that's that day. right. Thank you. So, Even yeah. weirder. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, those kinds of decisions have repercussions for most managers and Arson doesn't feel that. And mm. look, that can be a benefit, right? A manager feeling the freedom to make a decision like rotating can be good instead of feeling pressure to make a decision to appease the fans. But Arson doesn't feel that pressure, whether it's from Kroenke or Gazidis or the fans or whoever it is, to make, you know, to make his decisions make sense or justify him. We hear it in press conferences all the game, you know, uh, after the game all the time. I'm in the game long enough. I don't have to explain every decision mm. I make to you. But that, that freedom to not feel like he has to explain his decision making, I think, is starting to show in how cavalier he is in making some very questionable decisions. Yeah, I mean, this was the cup that we've won three times in the last four seasons. I don't know that anybody can really accuse Arsene Wenger of not taking the FA Cup seriously. He's won it more than any other manager, but he took a big gamble uh, against Forrest and it didn't pay off. So let's, I mean, let's talk about the game a little bit. Um, I guess. The, the, <laughs> We could just talk about Conte and Mourinho making fun of each other. Oh I mean, my God, they're not making fun of each other. They're they're th- they're setting it up. I mean, there's got to be some touch touchline violence. Hopefully, over the next uh, little while. When do they meet again? When do they play again? Hopefully, there's things a team will be. In Old Trafford in February, and I think right. Conte has warned Mourinho that he will be ready for him. Now, I would say Get just in. watch your eyes, Antonio. That that's it. Just keep your eyes covered. And you oh be yeah, fucking Mourinho's cancer thumb. We don't need we don't need that. But mm. a few fisticuffs will be all right. But look, okay, let's let's talk the game. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the tweet. There's a tweet uh, I retweeted it uh, after the game. By let me just put uh, get the guy. I'm a keen up here. follower he, of your timeline. He so is I at, most likely at greedy gooner. 
Um, and his uh, name on Twitter is uh, uh, Groundhog FC. So Nottingham Forest <laughs> have a free kick just outside our box uh, on, on the left-hand side. David Ospina has, uh, has built a wall of two players and the Arsenal defensive line are right on the edge of the six-yard box. The two guys in the wall are midway into the six-yard box or midway uh, between the byline and the six-yard box. Therefore, there's a huge amount of space behind the defensive line and the goalkeeper. So what happens? The dude curls in a very good free kick. There's a guy standing there going, I can't believe this. Have they not noticed that I can't be offside because of the two guys in the wall? And he's standing there and you can see, it's a still picture and you can almost see him go, come on, come on, do it quickly before they notice. Nobody noticed. I don't, I mean, it's one of the most bizarre like Sunday League, it's not even Sunday League. It wouldn't happen in Sunday League. That kind of defensive organization, I just don't know what you know to say about, about that. It. Is it that happens with Murdisacker on the pitch? Because if there's one thing you'd expect, it's for Murdisacker to absolutely. You know, I mean, like, he may not have the legs anymore, but he should have the the, the mentality, the experience, to organize yeah. his defense. Yeah, and yeah. you know, by the way, that it's worse than that because we got caught out on a short corner routine that led to that free kick. Mm. They they had a guy run in, if I'm remembering correctly, run in, play it short. Maitland-Niles comes in, comes yeah. crashing in. No one comes to help him. So he's 2v1 by himself on the wing, and he kind of gets spun around a little and and commits the foul, and it's given a short advantage, and then they get the free kick. So, yeah. I mean, it was it was reckless and, and naive just even from the corner that, that led to the free kick. Just dreadful. I mean, really dreadful. There's, you know, whatever you might want to say about on-pitch organization, and, and it's got to come down to the players on the pitch as well, but, you know, to, to see something like that happening at this level of the game, it's just mind-boggling. But look, we made up for it by getting a mm-hmm. goal uh, very quickly afterwards, per Mertesacker uh, on the on the turn, showing he's the fox in the box that we've been missing for, for some weeks now. Um, tidy finish after Rob Holdings' <laughs> uh, header had hit, hit the post. Um but then we have the second goal just before halftime. I mean, David Ospina in the first half, again, not my favorite player, but made some very good saves. And had it not been for those saves, we would have been further behind. And I think that's uh, that's not something you can just say about Ospina this season. Like, we could go back to uh, Petr Cech in our last game. If it hadn't been for Petr Cech we would have been much further behind. So our goalkeepers are actually saving us goals at this should moment Should he have done better on their first goal, though? I mean, could he could he have taken that stronger step out to get he to that? Can, he can always freak- be stronger. I think Ospina could always be stronger. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's a bit weak in those situations, in those... Uh, uh, he had another he weird to- save low where he kind of just palmed it straight out in front of him and then yeah. pretended like he had a wrist injury afterwards. <laughs> What is, why does he do every game he plays? There's always a stoppage for an Ospina injury. It's either yeah. his back or his head. And this is a new one. Again, we have some more variety. It was his finger today, but just. I mean, maybe uh, he has gummy wrists. I mean, maybe he has delicious gummy wrists and, you know, players are coming over and taking bites out of them. So yeah, he saw it in the FA Cup final, right? I mean, he, uh, the goal he concedes, the equalizer is yeah. another, you know, soft wrist. So, look, they got the second goal just before halftime. Great finish, you have to say. And at first, I thought maybe we didn't clear our lines well enough. I don't know that there was a huge amount wrong with Rob Holding's header out. He, you know, headed it up and away in the circumstances to the edge of the box. Not bad. But we we just didn't close the guy down. We stood watching as he took it down and let the ball fall. And it was a great finish. But again, you know, you're you're looking at players who should be doing more defensively. Someone should have a clear look at goal from 18 yards out, right? I mean, that that ball's in the air a a long enough time for someone to wake up 
and and get a body to Le- uh, Lehigh. I should know this. He's an American. Yeah. Uh, you won't be seeing him in the World Cup, by the way. I, I you know, and again, I, I have some sympathy for Holding there because Holding's the one who heads it, and then he's the only one who tries to get out and and block the shot. In the end, it's a great finish. But, you know, again, leading up to that, they kick it long, one long kick and they're in. Mm. And if you watch leading up to that, Mertesacker steps up and it is such a bad decision. But this is such a clear example of Mertesacker being done, right? He's he's almost to the halfway line. And he knows if he doesn't step up and, and play the offside trap there, he cannot run all the way back to goal and defend. Right. So he steps up when the trap is not on at all. And I think that's the problem for Murtisacker right now. He can't play that high line at the halfway line because he's always going to try to step up, mm. even when it's not on, because he can't make the run back. And that's how they wind up getting in. They get the shot off. It's saved by us being in a minute later. Yeah. Um, off all of it, the the goal goes in. Yeah. I mean, that's why you would maybe point to Murtisacker being in a back three where he doesn't necessarily have to play the high line, yeah. you know, where you could play the two guys either side of him who are mobile and who can do the running, whereas he can step off and drop deep, actually. Sometimes you do need to drop deep. And if you drop deep uh, at, at the right time, then you cut off all the uh, the danger rather than get exposed. I mean, the guy who was playing up front for Forrest, an 18-year-old, had a, had a field day because he knew that he could get in behind every time his pace and his movement when you're 18 and you're playing against a guy who was never that quick in the first place you know i, I don't know why we didn't in fairness, do anything it's not about much him. different than the day murata had i mean you just kick long and run him behind i mean yeah. it's it, it's something that we see all too often i mean not to go back to the really bad old bad old days but the days of the six nil at stanford bridge and what was it five one at anfield or whatever when we had those terrible uh away performances a few years back, you know, on our since, what was it? Thousandth game or whatever it was. Um, it was the same thing. Fullbacks bombed forward two center backs and, you know, arguably quicker center backs when you had Koscielny in there, but it was just too easy to play into those, those half spaces kind of between the fullback sure. and one of the center backs or make a diagonal run and, and be in with 40, 50 yards of pitch to run mm-hmm. into. And, you know, I mean, Debushi, he, he's not coming in for enough stick in this game from what I've seen. I mean, admittedly, there's plenty to go around, but he just quit. There was a period in the second half where he just quit. He just stopped tracking his men. He just stopped running back. And, mm. you know, that's the stuff that's really hard to take. When you're putting guys out on the pitch who have no interest in being at the club, who have no interest in fighting for the cause, I mean, the minimum you expect from players is to give whatever they can. I, I mean, I realize it's not ideal situations, but it reminds me of, you know, Oxley Chamberlain's performance that day in Anfield was really troubling. And this this was a similar kind of performance for Debushi. Mm, I, I slightly disagree with that because I thought, generally speaking, he was one of our better players really? in this. Yeah. He I, I, I nice know exactly. in the first half. I'll, yeah, I'll give him that. I know exactly the moment you're thinking of, though, in the second half where there was yeah. a guy who came down the left, actually, uh, Walker, who was is the son of Des Walker, apparently, the former Nottingham Forest player, which is crazy because I had a Zach Clough out there as well. Um, it's a family affair. I guess so. But I remember the bit because I was going, close him down, close him down. And he just sort of jogged back and let him get a cross in. And I think Holding got across the the attacker at the near post and just about got enough on the ball to to get it away. Yeah, you know the one I'm thinking of too is actually right before the, the penalty where they had the double touch pen. I'm sure we'll come to that. Yeah. But um, Murtisacker makes the bad pass. Theo kind of gives up on it, doesn't fight to get to it. Mm. And Debushi just stands there mm-hmm. and watches the guy run by him and walks back. And then Murasaker hangs out a desperate leg on the end, uh, edge of the area. And then uh, Debushi comes back. And or was it was it Debushi who gave away the penalty then? It was, yeah. yeah it was. Right. He, he comes back and he makes that. You know, and to me, that's a crazy challenge to make from that angle on a guy. And I mean, we we know all about him. He's he's never scoring a goal on Montreori, <laughs> but 
Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I just let him have the ball in the box before I try to make that challenge. Sure. But that was a really bad moment for Debushi because he's just standing there. And if you watch it back after Theo doesn't get to that ball, he, he just waves him, waves him by. Right. I'm going to have to watch that back again. I'm just going to start it up here. There might be a bit of volume here on the... That's a great moment. You're going to love it. Yeah, I'm going to so love this. So let's, let's, let me rewatch this in real time. Oh, no, don't do that. It's open, open with... Oh, yeah, I see what I've done here. See, my sneaky download of the game downloaded as a text file, and you have to tell the computer that it's actually a so video. So why don't you just read it to us? I will. It says... See what I mean? Oh Volume. Holy I shit. Do. All right, so I'm going to go to the to the, to the the bit uh, with the penalty. Okay, hang 85th on. 85th minute, I believe. 85th minute, okay. Oh, here's the It's, it's got all the hallmark moments. Bad pass out from the back, player giving up trying to get to the ball, two defenders standing. Okay, so... Des- so desperation lunge. All right, so while, while, this is, while this is getting to that moment, let's just... Okay, here's Mertesacker, pass to Walcott, standing, Debushi... He's chasing. No, to be fair, Debushi chases, and there's the challenge, and you can see why a penalty's given. You can see why the penalty's ah, maybe, given. Maybe I misremembered it. In, no, in he, the does, he does. Narrative. He does. <laughs> Armand Traore's lying on the ground like he's been absolutely clattered out of it. Walcott more at fault there because he didn't come to the ball. He waited for the ball to arrive to him. Um, Is it a penalty for you? I can see why it was given. You know, with the benefit of, of uh, replay, you can see that he got the ball, but it's a clumsy challenge from behind in the box. And I can see why that's given as a penalty. Now, to, to me, the bigger issue here is the fact that Armand Traore is allowed to run through our defense like Messi channeling Maradona, <laughs> channeling fucking Gareth Bale. One of the channeling, worst players you know, ever to play for Arsenal. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, that, that really summed it all up for me. It was like, oh, Jesus Christ, how is this happening? And I think that sort of was the... If our, you know, the shit icing on top of the, our cake, this was the big plop of a cherry as well, uh, Traore going in. Um, yeah. You know, you can see with slow motion replay, you can see that Debushi kind of gets the ball, but I think he gets a little bit of the man before he gets the ball. He's coming in from behind. He hooks his leg to try and get it. It's it's clumsy looking. The 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 fall maybe is he, he collides with the man. You could I if that had happened up the other end, we'd all be screaming for a penalty. Yeah, um, I mean, so I mean, you said Debussy is one of the ones that came away from this with I, some credit. I mean, obviously, I saw it differently, but you would you not give Maitland Niles? Oh um, yeah, yeah. Listen, I've completely, time? I've completely and utterly not uh, taken into account the performances of the young players, and by young players, I mean Maitland Niles, Willock, Nelson, and Ketia when they came on. I don't think any of what happened should be uh, should be reflected on them whatsoever. Because I think, you know, they're young guys with what, Willock Nelson and Maitland-Niles with barely, what, 30 appearances between them? This has got nothing to do with them. Uh, and I thought Maitland-Niles was actually quite good, as he has been. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just don't want to, like, bring them into the equation because I don't think it's fair. What, um, what about someone like Awobi? I mean, Awobi is still technically yeah, young. He's he been given, he, I think, a yeah. lot of sort of time and patience from some quarters of of the support. But, like... He has played a lot for the first team. Mm. And, you know, this This is the thing. Arsene Wenger, one of the, his big sort of claims to fame was developing young talent. Um, Awobi's development is really troubling. And this was one of the poor performances from him you'll see for a while. I mean, yeah. is, is he someone that's really maybe needs to go out on loan or needs to be taken out of the team for a while? It doesn't seem like it's happening for him. Yeah, I do, it, he's not in good form. That's for sure. 
That's for sure. And he's not looking anything like the player that he was when he came through, which is why I've been a bit guarded when it comes to Maitland-Niles. That, you know, we see this introduction to the team and there's a player, young player coming in and playing without fear because they don't have that pressure in a way. There's no expectation on them to do well. Um, but I think it's been a, a trademark. I, and actually, I want to say maybe save this discussion for the second part sure, because yeah. we've got a question about, about that. But just in terms of Iwobi... He's really low on confidence. There were some really nice moments from him. There was a great pass into Theo Walcott. But a lot of the time you look at him and he's he looks lost. He doesn't quite know what to do. And I, I don't necessarily include him with those other young players, as you say, because he's been in the first team for basically two seasons now. So he's not really as as fledgling as those guys. No, I mean, he's he's had enough time to be integrated. Uh, you know, and I, I think one of the things that happens with these kinds of squads when, when he rotates like this is you have so many players playing together that are unfamiliar playing together. And mm. I, I think that there's, you can forgive them to some extent for that because for example, Maitland Niles, right? He looked pretty okay or average in those Europa league squads. I thought, I don't think he lit the world on fire, mm. but I think he's looked great in the premier league squad yep. and, you know, playing with better players, playing with players who are integrated together and, and there's that fabled cohesion and kind of understand each other. He's looked much more at home. So I, you know, I have some sympathy for that, but you know, just the basics to, you know, what you were talking about with the, the free kick goal, someone standing uncovered three yards out from your goal, um, being able to just kick long and get in behind the back four, playing two slow center backs, you know, in a back four like that with a high line. These are things that are just hard to understand and they keep happening. And when you watch games like this, you can kind of see it coming. You know, yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing that's so frustrating is you can see it coming. And I realize the manager wasn't on the touchline, but, you know, is it possible that maybe there needed to be a, a stronger, quicker response to reshaping how we were set up when you can see how easily they were getting in behind that, that back four? Yeah, maybe. I mean, we could have gone to a back, we could have gone to the back three, we could have had Mertesacker holding Debushi, put Nelson on the right wing, uh, a right wing back as he has played in the Europa League, and uh, Maitland-Niles uh, on the left-hand side. You've got Willock and Elneny, and then you've got your front three of Iwobi, Walcott, and um, and Welbeck. So, yeah, there could have been something we could have done from the sideline. But uh, just one one quick thing I just want to go back to. Just we were talking about defending, and we were talking about being exposed, and we were talking about how easy it is for, uh, for us to be exposed. I think what it tells us, Elliot, is that the issues with our defense aren't really down to personnel, that it's... It's just something fundamental, systematic with us, whether it's a back four or back three. It just, we play in a way which allows ourselves to be exposed um, defensively and right through midfield as well. I mean, it certainly suggests that Koscielny deserves the Ballon d'Or, or at least for a couple of years did. Because yeah. can you think of anybody else who's come through this, the center of this defense with any credit uh, over the past six, seven, eight, nine seasons? I mean, look at Vermaelen. Vermaelen's actually playing really well for Barcelona right now mm. uh, at center back. I mean, it is, it is worrying, right? I mean, we seem to have an ability to make defenders look terrible. And it's why I worry for people like Chambers and Holding, because it's one thing to have experienced senior players come in there and struggle and fail and move on. But these are players whose confidence and career could just be chewed up and spit out before they even get a chance. Look, I think we yeah. overlook, yeah, I mean, we overlook the value of education when it comes to defending. And I think with the best will in the world, as much as I admire what he's done for the club uh, down the years and, and what a brilliant manager he has been, certainly from an attacking point of view, 
defenders are not Arsene Wenger's strong point and I don't buy into the theory that he doesn't do defence or he, he doesn't care about defending or he has never put together a good defence. Of course he has. You know, he put together that Invincibles defence but generally speaking it's not what he, he does and it's not the way he coaches players. The defenders, I think, specifically really need to understand the game and need to be taught and need to be brought through um, in a very defined way because it helps them become better players. And I don't think that young defenders at Arsenal get that because we have seen it. Whether you want to laugh at Sender also, whether you want to laugh at Johan Juru, when they, when they broke into the team at first, they looked good players. And then over time, they just don't have the ability to cope with what Arsene Wenger does or expects his defenders to do. I mean, do you remember the the quote from last year, maybe the year before, Sebastian Skrilacci? Like a very experienced player. He had a terrible time at Arsenal. But this is a guy who won European trophies with Sevilla. He was part of uh, the, the French national squad. You know, he wasn't a fucking idiot. And he said, "Look, what Arsene Wenger expects from his defender—you're left exposed. And if you're not, if you're really not 100 percent every single game, you're going to look like a chump." And he did. And someone like Lauren Koscielny doesn't because he's had the ability to cope with it. And I think it's a it's a, a serious concern when it comes to our, our our other defenders. But look, let's get back to the game. The 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 penalty that I, I think. What did you think? Did you think? When you saw it in real time, what 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 was your thought for the fourth goal? Yeah, I think goal? it's a penalty. I mean, I, we're so hypersensitive right now because we feel a lot of the calls are going against us, and they have been. But I don't think you can, even if you get the ball, I don't think you can go through the man from that angle to get to the ball. Mm. I mean, I think that's a foul anywhere else on the pitch. Yeah. And I know that sort of somehow become has become the ad hoc way of determining if something should be a penalty. Um, so I didn't. I didn't really have a problem with the call. I, I would have liked if they ruled out the double touch penalty kick yeah. that uh, followed it. But yeah, I didn't have a problem with the penalty call. Okay. So people, uh, people talking, I mean, everybody knows the tackle from behind has been done away with for like decades now at this point. Yeah. And that literally was a tackle from behind. So I don't, I don't really see the issue with that. I mean, I can see he got a touch of the ball, but in real time, I don't want to have any problem with that. People talked about uh, VAR, video assistant referees, and maybe that would have made a difference to the fourth goal. The Arsenal players were obviously very upset by it. The guy slipped. It did look like a double touch. We've seen replay after replay after replay after replay, and it's not necessarily conclusive. Do you think VAR would have? Yeah. You think it would have? yeah. Yeah, I think it's conclusive. And I mean, this is one of those scenarios where I have a lot of sympathy for the referees. Not that that's what anyone wants to hear, but I mean... I didn't see it in real time. Did you? No. I I don't think it's an easy thing to spot in real time. Um, I think on the replay, it is absolutely definitive. I think he slips and he kicks it onto his other foot. And, you know, I think he's actually going to sky it, first of all. But, I mean, putting that aside, it's definitely a double touch for me. And now, I mean, does the fact that VAR could have corrected this call mean we should have VAR? I mean, I've seen compelling arguments on both sides. Obviously, uh, in America, where I live, um, there are sports here that use that kind of technology regularly. So culturally, I'm just more exposed to it. I don't have some of the same problems with it. Obviously, I don't get to be in the stadium as much, and I know there's a concern about how it would affect the atmosphere in the stadium. There's a lot lot of reasons not to do it and a lot of reasons to do it, but I think in this case, it absolutely would have corrected the decision. Do you not think there's something quite absurd about the referee uh, I'm just watching it here again. I mean, it's watch, watch. 
I'm not sure. I'm I'm, re- I'm watching it and I'm genuinely not sure. And I want really. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really not I sure. Like I don't see it clearly. Am I just wish casting that? No, into maybe existence? not. Maybe it's just me. But like, sometimes it's really obvious the double touch. And this one, it looks so like he, he kicks slips. it off his other foot. I, he, I, yeah, he, I can sort it, yeah. of see that. But like, it doesn't take any kind of deflection. Really, it doesn't take the obvious deflection. If that makes sense. But look, I can see why. Yeah. Okay, fine. I just think that it's not necessarily as conclusive as we would like it to be if we were going to consult a video referee. The point, the question I was going to ask you, is it not absurd for the referee who was standing, what, four yards away with a great angle of the incident to go over and consult a man who's standing, what, 40 yards away and who can't see it anywhere near as clearly as the referee to try and make his mind up on this issue? I mean, that's I mean maybe, maybe it buys him time to consider it. Maybe he wants to say these guys are saying it's a double touch. I didn't uh, see. It. He's Did definitely asking. The, I mean, he's definitely asking the guy, and he listens to him, and then he makes his mind up on him. So, but it just—it's I mean, right, absurd. It be that the player said it's a double touch. It's a double touch, and he didn't see it. And he's like, "Well, I can't give it because I didn't see it, but I might as well go ask." My assistant. Who's going to say, wow, well, I couldn't fucking see it because I'm 40 yards away from the right, side. And, you know, you were there, are, mate. are demanding it, isn't it kind of incumbent upon him to at least ask? Like, how, how infuriated would I'm, we be if he didn't go get the help? Sure, I get it. I'm just saying that, like, as a system, I, you know, I've, I'd have no problem oh, with, oh, with, yeah, this being, yeah. with this being an incident for which we use the video assistant referee. I'm just saying it would have that, taken less time for a video assistant referee to call down to him and said yes or no yeah. than what he took going over to his assistant. I don't think that even with a video assistant referee, they would have ruled that out. I mean, not for us, maybe for <laughs> someone else, because of, of the vast conspiracy. Of course, yes, the vast uh, refereeing conspiracy. I, I heard um, the recording you had of the referee meeting uh, from your uh, Friday edition of the Arscast. Oh, yeah. And I thought it was really, really illuminating. <laughs> yeah, well, look, you know, these secrets... Uh, I'm just, I'm lucky that, you know, they're still out there. They haven't come and got me because, you know, these guys have fingers in every pie and I guess, you know. It's the Illuminati, man. I mean, Tom Hanks will be starring in the movie about it. I'm just uh, closing the blinds here just in case I have a marksman on the roof opposite me. Um, But look, you know, to me, the the debate and any furore over that that penalty is... um, I won't say it's worthless, but you you have to put it in the context of it being the fourth goal that we have conceded to a championship side who haven't won in their last five games. I think they've won one game in their last eight. That's the fourth goal we conceded against that team, which has come from Armand Traore running (laughs) rings around our defense. That, to me, is where the focus should be, Not not on the double touch and not on whether it's a penalty or not. You know, well, two that, things can be true, right? It can be true yeah, that the yeah. refereeing decisions were bad and also true that we were still a disgrace and did not deserve to get anything from that match. And yeah. I mean, you know, people will say, oh, you can never know. You can never know what would have happened if they didn't give that penalty or or if, you know, that penalty is ruled out for the double touch. But you could equally go on and say you could never know what would happen if they put away one of the five or six other good chances they had that they didn't from being in on our goal every other minute for half the game. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of ifs and buts, but ultimately, I think we got exactly the result we deserve. Mm. I don't disagree with that one bit. I think we deserve to get beaten on the day. The team selection was uh, compounded by the fact we had no no quality on the bench to turn that around. There was no safety net whatsoever. What's uh, the plan here, though? You know, and this is I the part d- I don't d- get. I mean, our next gap, our next game is Carabao Cup in midweek. 
you know, I would have assumed he was going to rotate for that. I mean, maybe he feels it's a semifinal and it's Chelsea and he has to go full strength for that. But I just don't understand the plan and I don't understand what it would have hurt to have an Alexis or an Ozil or Lacazette on the bench today. I don't understand what he thinks he's going for at this point in the season. And then, you know, you look at it in terms of rumors that, you know, Theo could be off and Debushi could be off and here they are starting in this game. Mm. Um, It just feels very haphazard to me. And I think the thing that just gets frustrating after a while and uh, Tim Clark, Ars to Mouse on Twitter, he and I text back and forth quite a bit and you can imagine it is every bit as cheery as our uh, erstwhile (laughs) Ars to Mouse podcast was. Um, We're just constantly, everything is just like a shrug emoji. Like what's he, what's Mm. he doing? I don't, you know, I don't feel like I can see the plan. Yeah. We've had smaller squads in the past and uh, dealt with the same kind of fixture congestions and used our first team squad. And there have been games where we've gone like to lower opposition, third third round of the FA Cup, fourth round of the FA Cup, you're away, you know, to a team that is in the championship or a lower division. And he has rotated his squad, but generally he's had some kind of quality on the bench. He's always had that. He's. N- I can't remember an FA Cup game really where he's had that kind of a bench with nothing on it. Are you surprised he trusted Murtisacker after that last performance? I mean, that was the other thing to me is, yeah, I mean, there, there's a point where you're past it, right? We've seen it with other defenders. I think uh, uh, Tim Stillman was was talking about um, uh, Gary Neville had something similar happening. Mm. Like, Murtisacker clearly had lost it when he came off the off the pitch the last time, and I, I, it just shocked me that he put him out there withholding in a back four again as if he hadn't watched his last performance. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there is an element when you're a manager and you've got an experienced player, you trust their experience uh, to a large degree. You know, you didn't have a good game, but, you know, you're, you've you been around the block, you can deal with it. But, you know, to me, it, it wouldn't be a surprise if, even if someone like Per decided, okay, look, I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. Um, this is the same manager who used to give one-year contracts to 30-year-olds, right? Like, So yeah. we know he has the ability to be more ruthless than that. Yeah, he does. I mean, look, I, I don't really understand a lot of what he does at the moment. Um, for a long time, there was a, a predictability about Arsene Wenger and about the way that he set up his team and the way he selected his team, right? You could say, I'm pretty sure this is the team he's going to play. And now it's just you don't know what formation it's going to be. You don't know what the personnel is going to be. You don't know what the bench is going to be. And I, I really feel it's like he's he's juggling hot coals. He doesn't know. He's just got to keep them up in the air. And it's it's um, it's not working. It hasn't been working at all this season. I, I was listening to uh, to your podcast after the uh, the West Brom game. And I think Tim Tim Stillman made a point on the, the podcast that I had made in the blog Regardless of fatigue and regardless of of uh, everything else, when it came to the West Brom game, however long we had to recover and however long they had, the performance that we put in that day was not markedly different to many of the other away performances this season. Yeah. And I think what you can do when you look at the way we've played this season is probably count on one hand the times we played well. Yeah, and and some of them have come. I mean, like you know, everybody points to that United game where. We were two goals down, and then we battered them. That's but, not playing well, though. <laughs> you know, you know, can you count that? <laughs> no, I don't think you can. You know, that's that's not playing well. Um, 
you know, the the circumstances of that game dictated we had the momentum because they scored two early goals. And, uh, you know, you, you can talk about how many shots you have, but if you only score one goal from 30-odd shots, that's not playing well either. And when you concede three, that's not playing well. You know, Bate Borisov, 6-0. Uh, Everton away. Yeah, I that mean, a terrible Everton team. Tottenham at, at home. You know, Tottenham at home was a really good performance. Probably the best and most cohesive team performance of of the season. Huddersfield, even Huddersfield, the 5-0 against Huddersfield, it was 1-0. It could have been 1-1 a number of times. And then Mesut Ozil, someone gave Ozil a dig in the face and he got up and got angry and started playing and we scored a, a <laughs> load of goals, you know. But apart from that, you know, the, there haven't been many good performances this season. Most of our performances have been below average or subpar. Well, this is why I think it's so funny that everybody's so quick to ride Alexis out of the club on a rail because oh my God. he's one of the few players we have left that can take the ball and and do something special with it and win a game all by himself. And admittedly, he tries to do that maybe a little too much, and that's part of the problem. But yeah. you look today at, at the guys out there, Danny Welbeck, who you know cannot hit a ball cleanly, Theo Walcott, who finds it difficult to get involved in the games at all, mm. uh, Awobi, who's really struggling for form and doesn't seem to have a final ball on him. And like... We are so desperately short of players that can make that critical contribution in the final third. And, you know, I mean, in a way, it's funny, right? Arsene Wenger has trained me to forgive him for us being a shit show defensively. <laughs> like, I look at the Chelsea game, right? I actually thought we played pretty well in the Chelsea game. And then you look and you look at, like, those advanced metrics like XG and Chelsea had, like, 3.6 XG. But, like... I just want us to play nice attacking football. I don't even expect us to play well defensively anymore. And even that is becoming a little bit too much for us to ask. So, like, I really worry, especially if Alexis is off and and with the state of the squad right now, because if Arson can't hang his hat on dynamic attacking football and scoring goals, then what do we become? I mean, what is an Arson Wenger team that doesn't, Mm. attack well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of a scary concept. Yeah, it sure is. I'm seeing people on Twitter this evening talking as if uh, Alexis is on his way. I don't know where it's coming from, but honestly, when you look at this team, when you look at this squad, the idea of going through the second half of the season without Alexis Sanchez, regardless of what his form has been like, would be just uh, bananas unless we were to bring in some kind of replacement. But of course, that opens up uh, you know another another debate. But Elliot, we're going to take a yeah. we're going to take a short break, uh, and we'll come back with part two of the podcast. We're going to answer the questions that you sent to us. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter tonight. You sent them to at Yankee Gunner and also at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Elliot, as you are the guest this evening, very kindly filling in for James while he is sunning himself, riding around on beaches on the back of giant turtles, sipping pina coladas <laughs> and eating curries uh, from banana leaves. Uh, I'll give you the honor of going first so you can ask the first question. Oh, I can ask the first question. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. all turned around. I was all prepared to answer. I, as someone wisely uh, tweeted on uh, Twitter, that's where you do that. And yeah. I don't remember who, so I apologize. I think they said, got enough shoes to fill. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I've got to come Sterling up with. Sterling work so far. Um, let's start with the big ones. Might as well. This one comes from TarotBop49. Uh, TarotBop49, PP on Twitter. Uh, and this person... 
of an unknown gender asks, do you think this is Wenger's last season? Let's get with the big stuff right away. Yes. I think it is. You do. Uh, yeah, I think it is. And I th- I've thought this for a little while. I've, I've had a feeling that this is going to be his last season um, for, for a couple of reasons. One was the, the whole uh, dead man walking thing. If everyone knows it's your last season, then it's very hard to motivate your players. You know, even subconsciously, the players kind of look at you and go, well, you're not going to be the manager next season. So, you know, whatever. He kind of just did it last season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, but there was also the other thing that happened last season was the 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 whole uh, are you staying, are you going to go, are you going to stay, are you going to go, and it became this massive thing that just enveloped the the whole club. And I think I think in some ways he was a little bit taken aback by that, by how much that became the focus of everything. You know, and I think he he and the club would want to avoid that. So that was two two reasons why I thought it might be his last season. There was a third reason why I thought it might be his last season, but I was hoping that it wouldn't be a factor, and that would be performance. That would mm-hmm. be how we're playing, how we do in the league, where we finish. You know what what what's our ability to uh, to win or compete in big games? Can we finish in the top four? Are we going to win something? And I sort of felt that if it became obvious that none of those things were going to happen, or if we were falling short in that regard, then I suspect there might have been some provision within the contract for a parting of the ways after after twelve months of the two year contract. So I do think the two year contract was put in place. There's a kind of fail-safe there. You don't just give a manager a year's contract because uh, you just start over that cycle of are you staying, are you staying, are you staying again. So The, the only thing that's interesting is he, he kind of backs himself into a corner then here because his big sticking point has always been, I honor my contracts. I honor my contracts. Yeah, no, he, no they're not going to yeah. sack him. So is he going to not honor his contract? I mean, is it are they just going to play it as mutual and – that gets him out of that I honor my contract. Yeah, thing? it could do. It could do. Or, you know, he could say, look, I, I, you know, my opinion, I'm not able to take the club forward. I mean, it's, I find it very difficult to hear Arsene Wenger say that, by the way. I, I can't envisage, I can envisage him saying a lot of things, but I can't really envisage him saying, you know, it's time for me to go. I can't really do the job as well as I thought I was going to be able to do it. But it would give him that get out. You know, Do you say, think it, it will weigh heavily on him? I mean, there's a big rebuild coming this summer, right? I think we agree on that. Uh, or there's, there's going to have to be with the departure. I mean, yeah. will he will he feel he has to stay to helm that regardless of whether we want him to? Or will he be willing to step aside and let Raul and Mislintat and whoever the new guy is be in charge of that? I mean, yeah. he's a man of a big ego. Will he want the squad being reshaped by by other people? Well, when you look at the squad right now, and when you look at the contract situations of a number of the players... There's a fucking huge amount of work to do in terms of in terms of getting this club ready for the future. Alexis Ozil Wilshire had a contract this summer. Um, Ramsey one year away. Debut, yeah, Ramsey's one year away. Welbeck will be one year away, and you've got to ask: Is it worth renewing Danny Welbeck? I'm not sure that it is. Theo Walcott's, you know, his career at Arsenal is pretty much dead in the water. Per Mertesacker is retiring. Matthew Debushi is going. 
uh, or wants to go, and his contract is up in 2019. Lauren Koscielny What's is Giroud's a... What's situation? Does he have Giroud, one more? Yeah, no, Giroud, I think, has got one more year. Again, I think he could yeah. be 2019. But again, a guy, he's, what, 31 now. So Giroud's not the future at all. Um, uh, you know, we criticize Arsene for not being great at buying, but, like, as we're seeing Liverpool get, you know, $142 million for Coutinho or whatever I mean, it is. Like, maybe the hell. bigger problem is he's so he's been so reluctant to just sell, sell. some guys. Yeah. I mean, I know he did with Ox, but even with that, it seemed like he had to be browbeaten to do it. Yeah, and it was, you know, I think if it had been a case that, you know, the, the Alexis Ozil-Wilshire uh, situations weren't quite as pressing as they were, I think he would have held on to Ox. Um, so, you know, you look at the squad, you look at Czech is getting older, Ospina's probably going to want to go. And you think, well, we have got a fucking lot of work to do here. Not to mention the fact that this is a squad that needs improvement anyway, right? It needs players to come in and make it better. There's that work to be done on top of all the renewals, on top of the contracts, on top of everything else. So I don't think that Greek guy, the Greek kid will solve everything. Maybe he will. I don't know. I mean, you know, again, look, here's a young, a young defender who's obviously got some potential. But, you know, we've been down that road uh, before a little bit. So I, I think it will be his last season. And I also think it should be his last season. What do you think? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we, I people. Be, we've had lots of questions. Season. We've had lots of questions about you know people saying, "Well, why is he even here now? Can you make the yeah. case for him staying now?" No, no, I can't. And I, I feel for him because look, this is what I think is hard for a lot of us. And I realize there are some people that are ready to call him and see you next Tuesday and stuff like that. I will never get there. I just won't. I'm sorry. Sure, I, get it. I, I think he has lost it as a manager. I will always have some affection for him for what he did for us in the club. And I realize there are people that are long past that. But it is sad because. I do think he's tarnishing his legacy. I do think he is souring people on him that, that loved him and stood by him and defended him. I think that unfortunately this second act that's now creeping into a really uh, comically terrible third act will be remembered. And he could have gone out on a high after either of the FA cups. He chose not to, he's sticking around for what increasingly looks like a a pretty precipitous decline. and, And maybe that's over the top, but so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel for him that he, and for the club that he didn't leave. I think it's a, a really difficult situation with him and Ivan Gazidis, who I think you've sort of suggested, and you're not the only person that didn't think he should be renewed, and Ivan kind of lost that power struggle, but now he's bringing in these guys, Raul and Sven Meslintat, and the comments about Meslintat I thought were maybe a little condescending. I, I've heard people say that's not how they were said, um, but he made some comments pre-match about about Mislintat and you wonder how they'll be able to work together in this new structure. So on the one hand, I think I see a club trying to modernize and create structures that reflect more of how a modern football club is run. And on the other hand, you have this all powerful, you know, I'm, I'm the present manager who controls everything. And I, I don't, I think those are in, incompatible realities. I don't think it works. And if there is a ma- major rebuild to be done, you know, at a minimum, Andrew, I think, it has to be done using the new structures that are being put in place. Mm. No, I agree. I agree. I just, I'm just curious about what the solution is now at this moment in time. Because you the know, relegation zone and he goes. Well, no, no, I don't mean, I don't mean, I don't mean that. I just mean that if you, let's say the club if for some bizarre reason, and I, you know, obviously it would be a bizarre reason for Arsenal to do this, to say, right, Arsenal, that's it. It's time. It's over. We want you to go now. What do we do? What do we do to to get through the rest of this season, right? Well, that's, there are rumors my, about Arteta. I don't think we could get him mid-season. Would you would you want that? Look, would you I welcome Arteta. 
I, I think I, we spoke about this myself and James a couple of weeks ago about how he is potentially a future manager of the club, but I don't know that you can go from less than one year as a coach, albeit with Pep Guardiola, and come into a club like Arsenal and come into a situation like this. Like, I don't, I think you need experience to deal with whatever is going on at Arsenal because we've just spoken about this huge rebuild that needs to be done yeah. in terms of the playing staff. I think it would be a huge issue for someone like Mikel Arteta to come in and go, well, fuck, how do I deal with X, Y, and Z leaving? They're out of contract. These guys are too old. And, you know, I think that would be a bit much. I mean, I like the Hopefully idea of Raul, it. I, that, do you know how to say his last name? I'm, I think I, it's I think it's Sanye. Sanye. Yeah. I mean, you lived in that part of the world. So. I did, yeah, but I, I mean, my my Spanish is fucking shit now because of well, I haven't lived there. Interesting, and I just just a little nugget is uh, Stan Kroenke's NFL team had a really good season this mm. season, surprisingly, and they had just appointed out of the blue a thirty-one-year-old manager. I mean, they call it head coach, um, who kind of came from nowhere, and he was very, very successful and he's going to win the manager of the year, coach of the year award. So I do wonder if, you know, that will lead Stan to think, Oh, we can replicate that by bringing in another relatively inexperienced. You know, I don't, I don't know that. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad uh, vision to have for the club, to bring in a new coach and to bring in a young coach who's got fresh ideas and who's learned from Wenger, who's learned from Guardiola, you know, who's, uh, you know, who's got his whole career in front of him. I don't think that's a bad idea. I'm just thinking about this situation right now. I, you know, I just think that as much as I think this should be Wenger's last season, I don't know that that him going now is the ideal solution for that as well. I think if we are putting in place these structures, maybe we just use these last few months of of this season to make sure that we've got a good candidate for next season. Rather yeah. than shouldn't some... the rebuild be done with the vision of the next guy in mind, right? The, yeah. If we're rebuilding, that next guy is going to take that squad over. So shouldn't shouldn't it be in the mind of whoever's going to be that guy? Sure. I mean, okay, but then you do it. You bite the bullet. You do it quickly. You do it efficiently. You you're ruthless. I don't think any of those things are things that Arsenal are 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 famed for or capable of at this moment in time. Um, so I don't off the pitch. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And like I I think about recruitment. I think about the January transfer window. I think about. Uh, the summer transfer window, you know, you know, ideally we're, we should be making plans for the summer now. And I don't know that I want Arsene Wenger to be the guy who's making decisions about the players. You know, it's, it's, it's such a weird, difficult situation. And I think maybe when we, when, when we step back and think about it objectively outside the, the heat of the moment, outside the heat of, of losing to Nottingham Forest, outside all of the frustration that we have with the way the club is going at this moment in time and the and the results and the form and the way that we play, I think we, in some ways, don't quite think about what a huge thing it is to replace someone like Wenger who's been at the club for as long as he has been. It's, it's seismic, Elliot. Yeah. Do you not think? Uh, well, I mean, he, as he's told you, he has to, he has what, 300 staff that he controls and has to worry about or whatever the famous quote yeah. was. I mean, he, he really feels that he touches every part of the club and it's probably true. I mean, it, and it is difficult, right? Cause you almost feel like there's this sort of shadow government being installed behind him, mm. you know, but yeah. they, I wonder to what extent they're allowed to operate and it doesn't really matter right in this immediate moment. I mean, it, it may, cause this window itself may be relevant, but I think come this summer, the worry for me is 
either you're going to have Arson staying and doing the rebuild largely in the way that he wants to with Raul and Sven having very limited ability to impact that no matter how much they may like to or with him going and then the new players that come in and the squad that's rebuilt, I mean, has to be built to be able to play in the style of whoever the new manager is going to be. And so would the club be able to make those choices fast enough? Would they be able to get that done quickly enough? I mean, is there any world you can see where Arson is announced as leaving the club the day after the season ends and the new manager is in the day after that? And that, that hasn't been our MO. No, it hasn't. But I do think um, I'm fearful about the way the rest of this season is going to go domestically, you know, in the Premier League. And I think when we get to May, I hope I'm wrong. I, like, I absolutely and 100% hope I'm wrong. But I think we're probably going to be sixth or seventh in the mm-hmm. league. Probably sixth. Uh, because Can I'm we not win sure. The Europa League, and if we do, is yeah. that going to mean that Arson sticks around? I mean, if he's got yeah, Champions League football yeah. to look forward to and a chance to revitalize Listen, the squad, do you think he'll back himself to get it right again? Would it would it not be the most Arsene Wenger thing of all time to Fuck me, yeah. to <laughs> to like really play poorly in the league for the rest of this season and finish sixth or seventh, but win the Europa League and get Champions League football out of it? It would be it's the funny, most Arsene Wenger thing of all time. Well, we a, see the FA Cups as a chance trophy. to go out on a high. Yeah. But I think Arson saw the FA Cups as proof that he still had it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So I, look, yeah. I don't I don't know the solution. I just feel like I, I think if we finish six or seven, if we don't win the Europa League, regardless of what happens in the League Cup, the League Cup is not a, a trophy that saves you your job. Hmm. Um, if we win the Europa League, what can you say? Like the guys won us a European trophy and got us into the Champions League. I mean, <laughs> but that, then he's going to rebuild the squad, I get, Andrew, I get and then it. we're going to be having this conversation again. Listen, you know, I get it. Three years from now, I get it, and this is why it's like, uh, what's that? What's that? Um, what do you call that thing where you look at it one way? A Mobius strip. A Mobius strip. Yeah, yeah that's what it is. That the, the the Mobius strip of Arsenal is that would be just exactly it. But look, I, I I have a feeling that given the way we've played in the Europa League, we we maybe won't win it. I think we could be capable of, and I think we should give it a good go. At this point, I think it's I think it's the thing that our season should be built around. But uh, look, I I don't know. I I to answer the question. I think it will be his last season. I think it should be. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was not because, you know, that's Arsenal. Arsenal. Yeah. (laughs) All right, listen, I'm going to get on to another question. Uh, This one comes from Super Flan, who's at Flanny Balls. And he says, are we at risk of doing permanent damage to a very talented clutch of young players? And obviously referring to Maitland-Niles, Iwobi to an extent, uh, Joe Willock, Reese Nelson. What do you think? I mean, yes and no. I I think we overestimate the number of young players that ever make it at this level, right? And not just at Arsenal and not just under Arsene Wenger. Young players more often than not don't make it at the top level, right? Um, It's very rare that you bring someone through that by the combination of their talent, their, uh, the application of their talent and their fitness managed to make it at the top level. So, I mean, if we realistically think that Reese Nelson and Maitland Niles and Enkedia and, you know, go down the list, however many of these that you want to list, Willick, are all going or should be going on to be first team caliber players at Arsenal, that's not realistic. I mean, there's, you know, when was the last time something like that happened? Manchester United 30 years ago. Mm. Um, So, you know, 
well, I'm the first to criticize Arsene Wenger. I think that may be a little over the top. Um, but what I will say is, with respect to the young defenders, I think it's a huge possible problem. I mm. think that um, Holding is in deep trouble. I think that Chambers is in deep trouble. I think that this Greek guy, uh, <laughs> who I should probably learn his name, and I, I apologize for referring to him as this Greek guy. This Greek guy. Um, Do you want to give it a but, try? You can give it a try. Yeah, sure. yeah go on. Yeah, I mean, do you want to type it into the chat window? I don't oh, do even, we have a chat window? Okay, hang on. Okay, here it is. I am going to let you do it. Uh, we do have a chat window. Okay, awesome. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. Yep. Oh, oh, this is no problem. Constantinos Mavropanos. Okay. Exactly. It's so easy. Constantinos, um, yeah, I mean, is is he is he going to go through similar similar growing pains? I think so. I mean, I trust Arsene Wenger enough with young attackers. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do that I think they can make it through. I think Maitland-Niles is the one that's at a really interesting point. He looks like the solution for our midfield. I mean, I, solution in huge air quotes here. But um, I don't think that you can play Ramsey and Shaka uh, together anymore. I don't think that you can play Shaka and Jack together. I think there has to be an athletic, more mobile, uh, better recovery run mm. midfielder in there. So I'd love to see him moved in there, and I think he could really thrive. But, yeah, I mean, the, the risk, I guess, is – it's such a destabilizing time at the club right now. And there's no plan. Some of these guys should surely be going out on loan, right? I mean, some of them should be starting to get played in their natural position. And I realize Nelson did get to do that a little more today. Um, but yeah, I, I think players, especially young players, really thrive when they have specific instruction, when there's structure. You look at what's happened with Raheem Sterling uh, at Manchester City, and he was already a delightful player, but he's turned into an extraordinary, you know, uh, world-class player. Mm. Um, and I think it's because the instruction there is so specific and the roles are so clear. This jazz football that Arson is famous for lets players express themselves, but I think young players probably need a little more structure and a little more instruction than they get at Arsenal. Mm. So, um, you know, again, it, these guys weren't all going to go on to be first team players at Arsenal or at that level. Um, but I think there are a few that still could. And I think the ones to really worry about are the defenders who are being put in terrible situations, whose confidence could be getting wrecked and who are working at, at a club that doesn't seem to really know how to bring up young defensive talent to begin with. Sure. I mean, I think the, there's a weird dichotomy, isn't there? Because you, you look at players like Nelson, who I thought in the Forest game showed that, you know, for all the people saying, give him a go ahead of Theo Walcott, he's still got a lot to learn at this level. Joe Willock yeah. is the one who has kind of surprised me this season because I I don't think he did a huge amount wrong in the in the Forest game, and I've been impressed with him at times uh, in the in the Europa League. Maitland Niles, of course, uh, again a guy who I was sort of wary of, just from the point of view you don't want to like overhype him, but like he's he's shown in the last couple of weeks that there's a real footballer in there, and I don't know that we're doing him any good playing him at at, uh, at left back, and I'd, I'd be no exactly, and I'd be happy I'd be happy to give him a go in midfield. I mean, we can't give him a go in a midfield two yet. I don't think we need to go to a midfield three and uh, that means going to a back four and then we've got issues uh, you know about who plays in, in that back four who's our central defensive duo I don't know that we have a good one so that, that becomes an issue but like Wenger has given these guys a chance he's given them a, a go in the first team he's prepared to play them and, and give them this chance uh, and other managers simply aren't and you wonder, okay, maybe they should go out on loan, but maybe they get a bit more benefit playing for us. Maybe there is a benefit to them playing in these games in the Europa League, in the Carabao Cup. It's better for them doing that than going out on loan to a manager who might be reluctant to use a young player because he's under pressure himself. 
uh, even, look at even, Serge Gnabry's loan yeah, to exactly. West Brom that exactly. ended his Arsenal career. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> even if it is at a lower a lower level, the managers feel the same pressure. So is he going to err on the side of caution and play an experienced player or stick in a young guy who's who's got flaws in his game? I mean, I think uh, there's a program on tonight on BT Sport um, after the Arsenal game in which Arsene Wenger talks about when you play a young defender, you know he's going to cost you points. And that's the that's decision. You, yeah, but it? no, but that's that's true. Facility. No, 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 but it's true of any manager who plays a young defender, whether they're on loan at fucking uh, yes, Charlton or whether they're, you know, they, they've got to learn somewhere. They have to, and they've got to learn from their mistakes. I think the issue now is that every mistake becomes amplified and almost impossible to recover from. I remember. A couple of couple of years ago, I think I've told this story before, of watching the the uh, season review video of the nineteen eighty nine season, and I think we played at home in our first game. I, I could we have lost it, maybe to Aston Villa or somebody like that. I'm just going to look it up here while we're talking. And in the in the first game of the season, eighty eight eighty nine, here we go. Yeah, first home game of the season, Arsenal lost three two to Aston Villa at home. And two of the two the two of the first goals that Arsenal conceded were terrible defensive mistakes. One could have been Tony Adams, the other could have been Steve Bold. And I remember looking at that, going, "Holy fuck! If that would happen now, that replay's getting uh, you know over and over again on Twitter. You're getting the gifs, you're getting the memes, you're yeah. getting all of it, and it becomes." much harder these days for players to recover from bad mistakes and particularly young players because they get written off very quickly and very early. And we have to remember that these guys, not only are they uh, uh, the target of this kind of thing, they're on these platforms as well. They're on the social media platforms. They're not blind to all this stuff that goes on. So it's a diff- obviously a different challenge. But I- I've lost track of what I was going to say here. Um, well, I mean, just about sort of how you develop the young talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should these defenders... Yeah. So, so Fenger, yeah, they're, they're going to cost you points one way or the other. Right. So do you keep them in-house and give them a go or do you put them out? So I don't know. I mean, the, the, it's a very difficult thing for managers and not just Fenger and not just... Well, uh, can, can I can I tell you why I think it's a problem for us right now? Sure, Again, yeah, yeah, of course. You can keep them in-house if you have a properly functioning team that's well-drilled and you're putting them into the side in, in positions where they can excel, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example... Maybe it's an FA Cup game against lower tier opposition and it's mostly a first choice team and they've got players around them that can kind of help them through the game and they have a system that's very clear and defined and they know their role. I think why it's so troubling at Arsenal right now is you got players getting dropped into sides that have 10 changes, 11 Mm. changes, um, you know, nine changes and well, you were playing in a back three, but now you're playing in a back four and you're playing with a guy who's slow and you know, these guys playing fullback are actually midfielders and that's where I think you start to run into trouble is that you're mm. dropping these young players into maybe unfamiliar positions in unfamiliar partnerships without the benefit of the full strength of the first 11 in there to kind of help them through the game. And you can see it. I mean, just look at Maitland Niles performances in the premier league versus his performances in the Europa league. Mm. And you see the benefit of, of having that quality around you and that familiarity around you. Sure. Um, I think if Arson wants to do the right thing by these players, he has to consider easing them into situations where they have the structure around them to, to be confident and to get through the game, you know, putting holding next to Murtisacker and telling them to play a high line in a back four with nine changes or whatever it is, 10 changes that that's, Mm. that's suicide. 
Yeah. Yeah. Look, I don't think anything is being managed particularly well. Um, but I do, I do think there's something about this little group of young players coming through that's really interesting. I'm not saying they're all going to make it, uh, but I do think there's something about them. I feel a bit more encouraged about these guys than I have done for a couple of years. And I, I you know, I, well, I know good. the odds are against them, but looking at Maitland Niles, Nelson, Willock, uh, Nketiah, you know, they've got something about them. And they need the luck and they need the fortune and maybe they need someone to take them in a slightly different direction. But I, it's one of the things I've always quite liked about Wenger is that he's he's willing to give them a chance. Today, he got it wrong, thing, yeah. you know? Sorry. But, I cut across. I was just going to say, I think the interesting thing with these players is when they hit the plateau. What, what Iwobi's going through now. They make the breakthrough. They look really bright. They look really good. And mm. then there's a plateau and there's a moment where they dip. And I think how they respond to that is where careers are made and broken. You know, this is where I think we've got a problem. Like from a managerial coaching point of view, that I don't think we manage players at this point particularly well. Like we so coach come them into the squad, they're making yep. appearances, and yep. now they're just in the first eleven every week, and they're struggling. And what do we do now? Yeah, exactly. And they're they're left a bit lost. Like yeah. I know, I know that someone told me not too long ago that Iwobi. Remember, he went through that really bad spell of form last season, and he was left out of the team. Over? Well, no, but you know what I mean. But he he went through yeah, a yeah. spell. He was left out of the team, and you yeah, would he expect vanished. he was playing with the reserves again. Exactly, and this is a time where you expect the manager, you expect the first team coaches to sort of take him aside and say, look. This is part of the natural progression of a young footballer. This is what happens. This is what you need to do to get through it. Don't worry about it. Don't, you know, don't get like, none of that happened. None of that happens. And that's where I think we've got a bit of a problem. I think we've got a, like an issue slightly with, with uh, Hector Bellerin, for example, as well, who I don't think is worthy of the, the ire that he generates week after week. I just don't get why people are so angry with Hector Bellerin. I don't I, like in general. I don't get why people are angry with the individuals when it's clear that the individuals are not the issue. The, it goes way beyond that. But I think we have to learn to manage those players better, rather than say this is Wenger like to a T, right? Is I let him work it out for himself. He's an intelligent boy. I'll let him work it out, like he has done with his players all down the years. He's given them that freedom to, to think about things. Well, you know when you're Dennis Bergkamp and you go through a bad period, you can think about it and you can find a solution because you're Dennis fucking Bergkamp because you're a genius <laughs> and you're experienced and you've been educated as a footballer in one of the greatest academies in Europe. You can find a way through. But when you're a young player and you hit that wall and you need the guidance you need the education, you need the arm around the shoulder, or you need to kick up the arse, whatever it is. We don't have that. And that's why so many players, I think, come through, look good for a while, and then bang, they're gone. Think yeah. of all the examples. So that's where, I, that's where I have worries about these young players. It's not so much their talent, it's not their potential, it's our ability to manage them beyond the point where we tell them, well, you're out on your own. It's like kicking an 18-year-old out of home and saying, you know, that's it now. Go find a house. Or it costs fucking two grand to rent an apartment. Well, it's not my problem. Go find it. 
Yeah. All of a sudden, it, it all plan. of a sudden, you're living under a fucking bridge. Well, <laughs> you know. I mean, thankfully, that's not going to happen to any of these footballers. No, um, but you know what I mean. Yeah, football. Well, I, I just it can't be the plan to have someone like a Wobie be an every week, week in, week out, game in, game out starter, one of the first names on the team sheet, and then suddenly in the reserves for three months. I mean, mm-hmm. there doesn't seem to be an in between. There doesn't, you know, there used to be a way of bringing these players through, and now it seems to be all or nothing. You're either you know, a part of the first team or you're not. And that's it. Yeah. All right. Well, look, uh, let's uh, crack on with a couple more questions because we've been, we've been having good waffles. Um, So let's, uh, let's have a couple of questions. (laughs) Go on your turn. Okay. um, Let's, uh, well, I mean, we we were talking about a Wobie. I mean, why why don't we just stick with this for you? Uh, This comes from Matt at ML underscore AFC. Uh, Is a Wobie going through a bad patch low on confidence or is he just not good enough for Arsenal's level? Would alone be best for his development, even if it meant losing another first team squad player, assuming Theo goes to this window. What do you, what do you make of, of where his future is going for us? Uh, I I think it just ties into what I was just saying. I think that he, when he came into the squad, looked like a really good player, really exciting, strong. He looked uh, technically good. And now I think he's a player low on confidence, low on guidance. Would that be fair to say he looks like Is a it guy? I mean, the thing that worries me with him are two things. I mean, his engine looks like it could be improved. Yes, no, I agree. Physically, I think, yeah. was it Clive a couple of weeks ago on, on the Arsenal Vision podcast talking about Iwobi who was saying, you know, fucking pull your shorts up and do the running and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 And I and listened that, you know, to that and I was... That's a problem for some of our younger players. Yeah, right? and I mean, I, you can you can look at Theo Walcott when he first came to the side going back a ways, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Iwobi, players not mentally being plugged into the entire aspect of playing. You know, uh, you actually had... Dan was on the Arscast on Friday. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, and I thought that was brilliant. And he talked about how poor we are off the ball. Mm. And I think that is one thing that clearly is not being coached well enough at Arsenal is off the ball intensity, off the ball positioning. And I think yeah. Wobie's really struggling with that. But, you know, the one thing you'd expect for a player with with a lot of technical skill is for him to be able to deliver a better final ball. Now, actually, I thought he did really well in one situation today for Forrest. He, um, he had the pass through to Theo for the yeah. shot that Theo kind of scuffed into a cross. That was a really nice counterattack. That's what Iwobi's really missing, right? More, more final ball, more end product. Yeah. He leaned way back on one of his shots and skied it over. Technically, he's just not getting it right at the end. No, I mean, there was a moment as well where he lost the ball in midfield and he kind of stood yes. watching and, and they sort of moved on. He could have chased it. And then, in fairness, I was looking at him going, is he going to do it? Is he going to Is he gonna like put in the effort? And he did. And he chased and he pressed and they kept the ball. But if he had pressed in that initial moment when he lost the ball to try and get the ball back, I think that would have been much more effective than the 40 or 50 yards he covered trying to get the ball back when they had taken control of it. You know, the, the, there's moments like that. His goes down when he loses the ball. I think so. I think so. And I think he is a player who, who's who got a lot of talent. I, I, I see the talent. I don't necessarily see the talent in the performances this season. You know, I, I agree he's been pretty poor for most of this season, but I can see the talent because I remember the performances when he first came into the team. I was there in Barcelona when when he played him at the Camp Now on a really rainy night. We lost, but, you know, he was energetic. He was brave. He, he played without fear. And I think in some ways, uh, I go back to this thing about it's so difficult to talk about individuals at this moment in time when 
just everything else is wrong. You know, it's, it's, I can see and we can all see that there are players who aren't good enough and that there are areas of the pitch that we need to improve. But I, I think Iwobi is just 21 years of age. He's, uh, he scored a goal for Nigeria, for example, that put his country through to the World Cup. Um, I think there's something there. I think we would be foolish to write it off, particularly when we have so many other issues to solve in our squad and there could be so many other vacancies in our squad. But, yeah, Everyone's kind of got their, their, their player du jour that they like to lay into. Sure. I mean, that's really the culture right now. And, and <laughs> I mean, look. I don't love Francis Coughlin. Okay? <laughs> I'm only wanting you don't have to cough it out. He's not a favorite of mine. Um, you know, I, I got a little, I, I experienced something uh, in my pants when you said that there might be a market for him, that someone might be buying him, but uh, you know, I'm not going to hold out hope for that. I mean, do you, are, are we going to, are we going to be selling people? I mean, is that really a thing now? <laughs> I listen, I've got no fucking idea. I haven't got the faintest idea what's going to happen in January. We could do nothing. We could do all kinds of things. I literally have no idea. And that, you know, that tells us a lot about where we are and what we're doing. I just do not know. Like, do not know. Yeah. I, I mean, I for me, the thing that just blows my mind is the number of people that want to see Alexis go. Oh, um, sorry. That, yeah, like, I'd rather let him go for free in the summer and at least have the option of him there in case we kind of get our shit together and we've got, a, like, an amazing player who can score goals out of nothing because right now we need goals out of nothing. Yeah, I mean, that's really our best route to goal. <laughs> unless unless we're doing something. Like, the only way I would countenance an Alexis Sale, uh, Alexis Sale, yeah, he was a comedian. No, an yeah. Alexis Sale in January is if the money that we get from his sale to whoever it might be, Manchester City perhaps, um, goes directly on a really top-class replacement or somebody who could be a top-class player in a couple of years' time. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's fine that's, with me. I look, it, it increasingly feels like this is just going to be an exercise in futility the rest of the way. So I'm kind of no. open to whatever, but I don't know why you'd want to watch Arsenal without Alexis Sanchez. And maybe it's partly because I'm seeing prices like 17 million pounds and 20 million pounds mooted. And to me, what the hell's the point of that? Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I know. And sometimes we think, uh, you know, I think we lose sight of actually 20 million pounds is a lot of money. But when Coutinho goes for 150 million pounds, it's like, what the fuck is going on with the market? And like, surely we could hold out for a bit more. And if we don't get it, fuck it. At least we've got a player for for six months or, or whatever. Um, here's one. This should this should make you um, think. Um, this comes from <laughs> Li- rarely true, but okay. Linus or Linus Linus Widner on Facebook. He says, "Should we recall Bramall and Jenkinson from Birmingham and play them in their proper positions? Could it get worse?" It can. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It can get a lot worse. Right answer. <laughs> yeah, it can get a lot fucking worse. I mean, there was the rumor that we were going to sell Alexis and recall Lucas Perez. Now, look, I love Lucas Perez, and I think he was hard done by at Arsenal. But, I mean, if we're doing that, fuck it. Bring back Bramble. Bring back Jenkinson. You know, cock, throw Cochran in there. Find where Frimpong's been hiding out. Bring him back. Put the whole band back together. Maybe we can get Armand Traore on loan. Listen, we can bring back... Uh... Uh, Takuma Asano from Stuttgart where he has scored hang on let me just check he has scored one goal this season one goal that's one more goal than uh, you've scored or I've scored yeah that's true yeah Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know that it could get much more bleak. I, I mean, ultimately, the the really scary thing for me is that it, I look at the first choice eleven we have, and maybe I'm out of my mind. And it looks like a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that we've managed to get so little out of it, and it looks like it's about to implode. That's really that's really the the indictment, isn't it? I mean, look, at the end of the day, you can kind of write off this FA Cup performance. It's a disgrace that it happened, and it's a disgrace that we didn't have enough quality in the team to get it done. And you know, we can we've already gone on enough about that. But to me, the real shame of it is when I look at our first choice eleven, that's not the sixth best team in the Premier League. Not for me anyway. No. I mean, Personnel wise, right yeah. If if it's not close to City, it should be right there as good as any of the others. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's personnel wise. It's better than it is. I'm better than it's uh, been playing. Okay, here's a let's do one more question. Sure, uh, because uh, we have to call it a night. I have to let you go and do whatever it is you do in America in the afternoons. Um, What is that? By the way, uh, back back to work actually. Back to work. Okay, work on a Sunday. You're a dedicated man. Okay. Uh, well, I don't work during the week, so there you go. All right. Okay. It's how we do a podcast. Right. This comes from Andrew Jones, who's at Drew Flaps. And he <laughs> says, uh, if you could make one change at the club, but it can't be Wenger out, what would you do? Ooh. That's really tough. It is, yeah. A doozy, uh, I think they call that in your part of the world. I can make one change at the club, mm-hmm. but it can't. can I just, can the change just be like, We've won five European Cups. No, I don't think <laughs> I so. Can't, can't wish that into existence. Um, can we can we go back to Highbury? That was fun. Um, no, that's all. That's flats now. There's people living there would not appreciate that. I mean, you can make an argument. We play, play better football in a flat. Um, <laughs> I guess if I could make one change at Arsenal that doesn't have to, but I can't fire the manager, mm. it would be forcing him to accept other people having roles at the club, you know, letting Raul, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. take care of the, the contracts and the recruitment, letting yeah. Sven identify the targets and letting, you know, a, a first team coach come and work with him. I mean, look, Sir Alex Ferguson did what he did largely by allowing other people to have power. I mean, he delegated. Right. And, you know, I, I don't know enough about it to know if I'm right, but I mean, that's sort of what you read and what you hear. And, if Arsene Wenger was willing to delegate to people that could have specific roles and mm. and have specialized roles, I still think he is a, a manager that the players care for. I still think he's good at managing egos in in many ways. I, the guy is clearly not a moron. I mean, I just think it's too much on his shoulders at this time. His ability to innovate is probably gone. So if I can make any change, it would be forcing him to allow the other talented, intelligent people that can be brought into the club to do their job and let him kind of ape the role that Ferguson had in the later part of his career. At United. Mm. Okay. I go, I go for a new owner. Ah, uh, fuck. I should have thought of that. You should have. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who that owner, I don't know who that owner should be, but I go for an owner. If I could make one change, would you go would for be- the Petro dollar model? No. Or Look, that's, that's more, a whole other uh, debate. I, I think we're like, we're into, we're into like, you know, a three-hour podcast here about you know the moral uh, yeah. side of football and how we all have to come to terms with that. But I just think I would, if I could, have an owner who really, really cared about whether Arsenal were successful or not. And um, whatever Cronky says in his interviews with the Daily Telegraph and everything else, I don't believe that's the case. 
Arsenal is an investment, a financial investment. It's uh, one that's worked out very well for him. But he doesn't care one way or the other, really, as to whether the club is successful as a sporting institution. And I think if the one change I could make wasn't Wenger out, it would be an owner who had the the ambition and the desire and the drive and the finances to make uh, the club successful, or at least try. You know that way? You can't guarantee success. But if that's your aim and you tell people, this is what I want to do and this is how I want to do it, people will get behind that. And I, you know, I don't want to, like, Usmanov is a, I don't believe he's an Arsenal fan. I think it suits him to say he's an Arsenal fan. It's very easy to be the opposition politician, for example. It's easy to say the right thing in those circumstances. So I don't want to say just because I want Kroenke out or want Usmanov in. I'd like whoever whoever it is, it will be like one of the best Arsenal fans ever who's just won the Euro Millions or whatever lottery. I don't know. I don't know how you do <laughs> it. And, the Euro and, billions. Yeah, Euro sure. billions, whatever. <laughs> but just somebody who really fucking cared and who really wanted this club to be as successful as it should be given the the profile of it, given the history, given the, the resources, given the stadium, yeah. given the fan base, given everything, you know, given our track record. And that that's the change I would make, I think. I mean, could, could you make an argument just really quickly that the best model of ownership right now, though, for a club as big as Arsenal with the resources of Arsenal and the commercial deals that we should be able to put together is an owner who just gets out of the way, who says, you know, yeah. spend what you need to spend, do what you need to do. I'm not going to put money in. I'm not going to take money out so that you can have a director of football who does player recruitment. You can have a, a, a scout that finds the talent. You can have a manager that's really a first-team coach. I mean, because short of having Petro dollars. You can't really spend purely outspend I, them. So yeah. would it just be best to have an owner who just gets out of the way? Yeah, look, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think there is, uh, you know, it was one of the things that I thought was a good thing about Kroenke was that he would let the club be run by the people who knew what they were doing. And I'm not even talking necessarily about someone who's going to come in and bang down 200, 250 million, 300 million every transfer window. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I feel like we can do more with the resources we have. Yeah, I feel like sure. we can do more with the way that we do our transfer transfer business. We could make better decisions about the players that we have. In a, for example, like Theo Walcott is into the final year of his contract when it comes to the end of this season. But you could have perhaps sold Theo Walcott two years ago or or last year. Like you miss his 19 goals, but ultimately, could you have replaced him with a better player if you'd sold him and got the money, et cetera, et cetera? So I feel like we could do more with the resources we have. That's yeah. all. That that's where I'm going with that one. But you know, yeah, no, I, you're not going to get an argument here, and I don't think you find many people on this side of the pond that are fans of any of mm. uh, Crocky's teams that are huge fans of him. So sure, sure. Okay, well, look, we have been talking for quite some time. Uh, it's Jeez. been a pleasure. I've enjoyed <laughs> it very much indeed, and thankfully, neither of us stabbed ourselves in the chest uh, between the start and the end of this podcast. So I think we can take that as a success. That was really my my bar for success. So <laughs> I just about got over it. <laughs> well, look, we'll have to do it again sometime. Uh, people, uh, if they don't already, should listen to the Arsenal Vision podcast, which Elliot hosts uh, uh, impeccably with his regular contributors, uh, Paul and Tim and Clive. It's well worth a listen. So I recommend you do that. Elliot, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. Very generous of you. All right. Thanks uh, to everyone for listening. Um, time for me to have a bit more wine, I think, given the evening that's in it. Uh, we will catch you on the Arscast on Friday. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Cheers.